Welcome to God Pods, Faith Conversations from Boston College's Church in the 21st Century Center. Welcome to God Pods. I'm Elisa Taliano Yurenic, Associate Director for the Church in the 21st Century Center at Boston College. So, what are you giving up? That's the proverbial question that Catholics face during Lent. While fasting from some material thing can be done as an act of penance, It also has real spiritual perks. Fasting helps us to reorder our priorities when they've fallen out of alignment. Our guest today is Haley Stewart. Haley is the author of The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture. In her book, Haley reflects on lessons she and her family learned after quitting their jobs, selling their house, and shedding most of their belongings, all to live on a sustainable farm for one year. Haley is a wife and mother of four children and blogs at carrotsformichaelmoss.com. While her debut book is a great addition to any Lenten reading list, I think you'll find that the lessons she shares are meant for a lifetime. Haley, welcome to God Pods. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, we'll jump right in. Uh, Before we get to the topic of the book, I wanted to ask you about your Catholic faith. You and your husband converted to Catholicism together in your early 20s, as I understand it. And you say that Catholicism proposed an integrated, consistent way of living, which was attractive to you both. Can you tell us more a little bit about that? Sure. So um, my husband and I were both raised in Protestant Christian families um, who loved Jesus and loved the Bible and prayer and all of those good things. Um, And when we got to college, we for the first time encountered a lot of the writings of the early church fathers and all of these texts and ideas that we hadn't grown up understanding or been exposed to. And as we read more of, you know, St. Ignatius of Antioch and St. Augustine and all of these books for our classes, we were realizing how much sense all of the Catholic faith made. And, that there was this consistent and full and rich intellectual tradition that we could just tap into. You know, it was right there because we'd grown up with this idea that, you know, it's you and you've got the Bible and you're listening out for the Holy Spirit and trying to sort out everything on your own. And it's just exhausting. And so finding the church and finding this rich tradition where all of these things came together in this cohesive thing that made sense was such a relief. That's really great. Um, And you can tell that you've embraced that in your book. Um, Could you share with our listeners what possessed you and your husband to leave your comfortable life in Florida, including stable income, grandparents close by to babysit your children, and a house filled with your hard-earned possessions to go live on a farm in Texas? And did that desire happen gradually over time, or did you guys have a big aha moment? Well, I think um, the desire happened over time. We were feeling very stuck in our life in, in Florida, not because it was horrible, but just because we didn't have very much time together as a family. My husband was having to work a ton in order to... Um, cover all of our bills. I was working part-time and we just kind of felt like we were drowning and we we tried to work more, but that just caused other problems. You know, when you work more and you have less time, 
then you can't cook from scratch. You can't cook at home. You have to get takeout, all of these things that cost money. And so none of that was really helping. We just felt stuck. And like we were not living in a way that matched what we wanted our our life and our family life to look like. And so we kind of needed a complete reboot <laughs> of our lives. And we came up with a few ideas. One of those was, what if we buy some land and start a farm? But we realized that was a terrible idea because we didn't know anything about farming. We'd just be setting ourselves up for failure. And so we kind of needed a situation where we could recharge our lives, you know, figure out what we wanted our life to look like and um, also not make terrible financial decisions. <laughs> so we were drawn to this idea of moving to a farm where we volunteered in college. And um, it was, I guess, our youngest at the time. We had three kids at the time, and our youngest was maybe six months old. And we were on a trip out to Texas for a friend's wedding, and all the kids fell asleep in the car on the drive back. And we decided, okay, it was like just come up for air after having three babies in a row. We don't want to wait too long to make a change. So let's just go for it now. We kind of came up with a plan of how we wanted to sell our house and get rid of our stuff so we could move to this farm. Could you describe a little bit about the farm? Because as we think with our listeners or we propose to them the idea of living with less, um, the farm seems to be quite an extreme example. And yet I think it paints the picture of the seriousness of your commitment to this idea or ideal. Could you describe a little bit about it and kind of what you had to go without and then what you gained? Sure. So the farm we moved to, um, it was a faith-based nonprofit training farm, educational training farm. And it's kind of doing some different things now. But at the time when we moved out there, it was focused on an internship program that trained you in sustainable agriculture. And so you would live on the farm. You had your know, food that was grown on the farm. You had a place to live on the farm. Um, but you didn't really get paid beyond a small stipend for your health insurance. So, we had, our family had a 650 square foot little apartment, so two bedroom. We had a bedroom, the three kids had a bedroom, one bathroom, no flushing toilets, compost toilets only, all, that's like farm wide, no flushing toilets. And, um, and then we had a communal eating space, big communal kitchen. Well, that really paints a picture for our readers. I was struck by little anecdotes of your interaction with the animals, too, on the farm, uh, which is great. Um, Haley, you weave into the book Pope Francis's famous phrase that we are called to resist a throwaway culture. Would you unpack what he means by that phrase? And what are the principles of such a resistance? Sure. So reading Pope Francis's encyclical Laudato Si really changed my perspective on, on this idea of, of consumerism. So when he talks about the throwaway culture, he's talking about our culture that is constantly consuming, exploiting, looking for things to use up and then discard, rather than seeing through a lens of how God sees the world and human beings. And so it's basically the opposite of a gospel vision. 
So instead of being nurturers and caretakers of God's creation and human beings, we are exploiters and consumers. And so it affects not just that we're using up all these resources of the earth, but it also affects how we are seeing other human beings. Are we seeing them as people to be used up according to our convenience? Are we seeing them as human beings made in the image of God, deserving of our time and deserving of dignity and all of these things? And so I think sometimes we think of issues like abortion and the environment being on opposite ends of some political spectrum, because that's how our American political system is set up. But really, these are all connected. You know, the same attitude that would destroy God's creation, the environment, in order for, um, in order to make money, is the same attitude that looks at a human life as something to be discarded when it's not convenient. And so it's the same kind of warped vision. And so there's, you know, very grave matters. Then there's little small things like, well, maybe I want to watch Netflix all night instead of hanging out with my children, (laughs) which, you know, is for any parent. I think you felt that struggle. Um, But that same attitude of instead of, instead of pouring myself out in a way that honors how God has created human beings and the world. I'm going to focus on my own insatiable desire to consume, whether that's media or resources or human beings themselves. And so it's a very big idea that once you start noticing it in our society, just pops up everywhere. Mm. So true. Another question I have is like, how can a Christian live the way you are saying in a world in which anyone can go online, search for an item, type in an item and have it shipped to us the next day. Um, You know, part of resisting this insatiable consumerism is kind of restraining ourselves. And is it really possible for Christians to live kind of um, radically a different way when this is a reality for us? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, (laughs) in a lot of ways, the system is just so set up against, against us. That is really, really difficult. I think that there are small practical things anyone can do. Um, for instance, you think of something you want to order instead of rushing over to Amazon. You could sleep on it. Do I really need that item? Is there another way I could get that item? Could I borrow it from a friend? Do I need to own that item or could I just use it once? Um, something that I've found really, really helpful and they have um, chapters all over. It's called a buy nothing group and it's a local gift economy. So it's not bartering. It's not selling. It's just, if you have something you don't need, you post it in the group and anyone in the group can come and pick up the thing that you have. And so for instance, our, our um, laptop charger died and I was headed over to Amazon to order a new one to overnight it. So I could choose my laptop, but then I asked in the buy nothing group, Hey, does anyone have this kind of charger lying around? And someone was like, Hey, yes, I've got two of those. And then um, it was actually a professor I had in college. And so he came over and we had hot chocolate and I had the charger I needed and we had connected. And so I think that there's practical things we can do to help ourselves get out of this um, quick purchasing without thinking mindset. Um, 
is it, it's not going to be perfect because the system is set up um, so badly for that kind of living. But I don't think that that means it's hopeless. You know, I don't think that means that the small things that we can do to counteract that are insignificant. That's great. Um, in addition to cutting things out of your life or living more simply, um, distinguishing between needs versus wants, you also said that it was important to add in an intentional commitment to beauty if you're going to resist a throwaway culture. Can you share why that's an important part of this framework? Sure. Um, well, a lot of what a throwaway culture does is denies what it means for us to be human beings. And so human beings are wired for beauty. We're just designed to love beauty and be drawn to God through beauty. And that isn't something the throwaway culture really understands because the throwaway culture is so geared on consumption and the accumulation of wealth. And none of that really has anything to do with beauty. So just thinking about architecture, modern architecture is um, efficient and cheap to build, but it's not beautiful. And so actually, you know, being in these buildings that are ugly are not good for our souls. They make us feel less like human beings because we're designed to love beauty and be around beautiful things. And um, that doesn't have to mean expensive things. That could just mean going outside and being in nature, being around the trees and the green and having that nurture our souls. You know, we're just designed for that and we don't have it. It's not good for us. It makes us feel less like human beings. And I think because so much of counteracting the throwaway culture is reminding ourselves what it is like to be a human, that idea of beauty, which requires us to slow down, to stop and be attentive in an act of worship to, you know, God, who's a creator and source of all beauty, that that is, um, really revolutionary to a throwaway culture that doesn't value any of those things. Well, Haley, you make an effort in the book to point out that there are a lot of people who are embracing things like minimalism or leaving a smaller carbon footprint. In fact, you reference Marie Kondo, who's had a resurgence in popular imagination about, um, you know, decluttering our lives. You also reference the farm to table movement that a lot of restaurants have espoused. And while you applaud people of goodwill for pursuing these goods, you also challenge Christians to go deeper and to understand the why behind the what they're doing. Can you give us some examples of how gospel living goes deeper? Sure. Um, Yeah, I think the Marie Kondo decluttering craze is a really good example because it's not a bad thing and it's not coming out of a bad place. You know, people notice I am unhappy when I have all of this clutter, all of this stuff that is is exhausting and it doesn't make me feel good. Getting rid of these things, um, having less, I am a happier person. And all of those things are true. But I think if we don't understand the reason of why that is, then it can become a little bit warped. So so the reason why our possessions and having too many things don't make us happy is because we were designed for so much more than the accumulation of stuff. And having less things allows us the space in our lives to pursue those deeper goods. Um, I think where the decluttering craze um, kind of differs from a gospel vision is it's very centered on one's own experience 
And it's also, I think in some ways, kind of designed for the wealthy. So I have all of these kitchen items. I would like to get rid of them and instead buy one really nice kitchen item. Um, That requires me both to have the financial resources to be able to buy something new And it's also about my experience in the kitchen, which, again, that's not a bad thing to to want to enjoy the space that you're in. Um, But I think a gospel vision is more directed at the pursuit of holiness and um, the good of our brothers and sisters. And so I think about a monk cell kind of being, in some ways, the ultimate Marie Kondo space, but totally different because it has a different purpose. So the monk cell, you know, maybe he has a habit and um, and a prayer book and a mat to sleep on and say there's nothing else in the cell. It's like Marie Kondo on steroids, you know. But the purpose is so that he will not be distracted from prayer, from pursuing God, pursuing holiness. And he gives away everything he had to the poor. And so instead of here I'm going to dump all of these items that aren't sparking joy in my life in the trash. I think a gospel vision could say, okay, what can I do without? What is distracting me from God? What's distracting me from pursuing holiness? And what do I have that I don't need that could benefit someone who's truly in need? And I think having those um, ideas undergirding that project, you get a very different result, even though... um, it might be coming out of the same sense of dissatisfaction with the way things are. Hmm. Yeah. You also say that living this way um, and embracing this kind of philosophy and gospel, gospel living, um, it might not be intuitive, but it led you and your family to a deeper experience of community, um, which is something that people are really longing for these days. Can you share uh, one or two examples of how that um, happened in your life that you experienced communal living more intentionally? Sure. So I think that because the throwaway culture can be um, isolating, it doesn't really have space for the idea that human beings are designed to interact with other human beings and whether um, that those interactions might be inconvenient, they might not be efficient or productive, but that connection is valuable regardless. I think that because there's not space for that in the throwaway culture, we have a lot of really lonely people who don't get those kind of interactions that make us feel like human beings. And so living in community, especially um, sharing meals together, I think um, just reminded us of how important spending that time with other people, eating a meal slowly, you know, starting in the late afternoon after work, preparing the meal together, cooking, sitting down for a couple hours and eating, washing dishes together and talking into the night, that um, our lives are often way too busy to have that kind of space. But that's really what we should be pursuing. We should be trying to make that kind of space in our lives. Um, Living with other people. Also, I think that it was a good reminder to me that it is worthwhile to pursue relationships with people, even if on 
your first impression is not fabulous. Because <laughs> I think a lot of times our, our culture is very first impression based. If you don't hit it off with someone in your first interaction, then there is no point in developing any sort of relationship. But there are a few people that we lived with that my first impression of them was not great. And yet by the end of the year, I had really grown to appreciate them. They were just different than me. You know, they had a different personality. They had different gifts. And at first, some of that rubbed me the wrong way. But after spending that time with them and living in community with them, I was able to see how their gifts and their personality and their differences from me really brought a lot of good things to the community and how necessary those gifts and skills were and and just getting having the space to get to know them and appreciate them and see them as a full person, not just a person who's maybe a little bit more brusque than I am or, you know, being able to see all all of the good things about their personality. Um, And so that really helped me, I think, shift my perspective from this first impression idea and just understanding that when you spend a lot of time with someone, even if they're coming from incredibly different backgrounds, very different place, that um, those relationships and finding those commonalities is really, really beautiful and um, and worthwhile. It's very easy for us to want to only be around people that are exactly like us because that's who we're comfortable with. That's very um, natural for us to be drawn to people like us. But the great benefit of getting ourselves out of our comfort zone and um, developing relationships with people who are different from us, that that is just very, very life-giving. Yeah, I've seen you kind of write on a similar topic about um, how Pope Francis encourages parents to, quote, waste time with their children. Do you see this in kind of the same regard? Absolutely. I think that um, a lot of times we want to you would think about time is money. You know, my every hour of my day has like a price tag. And if we think about our time that way, then we get very easily frustrated with interruptions or time when we're not being productive. And so the idea of just wasting time with your kids, you know, just sitting, reading a bunch of read-alouds, going to the park, going on a walk, just sitting down, looking them in the eyes and having a conversation. I think these are struggles for a lot of modern parents. I mean, it's something that I struggle with, getting out of this mindset of being productive to honoring the image of God in my child by being attentive. And, um, you know, Pope Francis is wasting time, which is kind of a joke because it, obviously it's not a waste of time. It's very, very valuable. But according to the mindset of the throwaway culture, it's time wasted because you're not producing anything. You're not consuming anything. And so I think that um, getting into a perspective where we can see that sort of time as time well spent and time that's valuable is a huge piece of resisting the throwaway culture. I found your chapter on technology to be the most personally challenging, um, but I think it's something people might be interested in learning more about for their Lenten practices. Could you share more about how resisting the throwaway culture means realigning one's relationship with technology? Sure. Um, so I started out my writing career as a blogger. I love social media. I am not like a 100% technology naysayer by any means. I think it can be used in many good ways. However, I don't think anyone is under the illusion that the way we're using technology is very good for us right now. 
And I struggle with this just as much as anyone else, if not more than other people. Um, so especially thinking about the season of Lent, what can we do to use technology and not um, in a healthy way and not be a slave to technology? I think um, in many ways it comes back to the idea of the throwaway culture. A lot of the way we use social media and scroll through our phones is this insatiable consumption. You're wanting to consume, we're consuming media, we're consuming articles, we're consuming um, all of these things that are distracting us from things that have eternal value. And personally, um, I do not have a lot of willpower with social media. So I actually have to remove the app from my phone completely or else I'm just going to reach for my phone and I'm going to see what's going on on Twitter. And so for Advent, I took all the social media apps except for Instagram because that one, for some reason, is not as much of a time suck for me. And I just took them off of my phone so that if I needed to check in, I could do that on my laptop and it feels clunky and kind of dorky and it's not very exciting to use it on the laptop. And so I was on Twitter way less. I was on Facebook way less. And it just was not um, a temptation the same way. And so I think being honest with yourself about your consumption of media and your use of technology and um, noticing, you know, if you don't have the willpower, don't just keep doing the same thing to yourself where you have the app on your phone, you use it too much, and then you feel guilty. You know, figure out a way to break out of that cycle and take that temptation out of the equation for yourself. Um, some people do the grayscale option on their phones that it's not very fun to look at and then they're using it less. You can um, download apps that tell you how much time you spend on your phone and how much, um, which apps you're using. It is terrifying to see how many minutes a day we're on our phones. Like whenever I look at that, I'm shocked. There's no way I could spend that much time on my phone yesterday. But it, it, it's real. And so having those um, having those assist things assisting us with I mean, most of us, I think, struggle with this addiction to technology and being honest about that and figuring out a way to break out of that cycle, doing something different is, is very helpful. So for me, I have to take those apps off my phone. It's helpful if I keep my phone charged in a separate room during the day when I'm homeschooling so I'm not reaching for it when I should be paying attention to my children. Um, and even, you know, going outside, leaving your phone inside, taking time when you're just away from it. And, and for me, I do not do well with prayer apps on my phone. I want an actual prayer book. Otherwise, I will just feel distracted. And so um, I think it just requires taking stock. How am I using technology? Is this Am I enslaved to this thing? Am I constantly consuming in a way that's distracting me from things that are truly important? And what practical steps steps can I take to get out of this cycle? Um, you share with readers uh, the importance of teaching this um, way of intentional living to children so that their minds and hearts and imaginations are formed early on to kind of think this way and develop these habits. Um, what are some practical things that some parents can do if they'd like to incorporate this in their family life starting today? Yeah, I think um, one thing is that impress upon your children that, hey, sometimes we need 
to, to purchase something. We need to buy something. This is the thing we need to get. Um, and think of it as we're, you know, doing a task, not we're doing shopping because shopping is a, our hobby. You know, that the, the, the practice of consumption is not the goal. The goal is just getting this, this item that we currently need and also discussing, um, needs and wants. If you've ever been around children, you know that they have a lot of wants and they think of them as needs. And so just talking that through, you know, when a child is saying, oh, I really need this such and such. So, oh, it sounds like you want that thing. Let's see if we really need that right now. Can we wait on that? Just having that conversation. Um, I think it can feel like an uphill battle because um, your children are struggling with the same thing. All of us adults are where you we want all these things and it's hard for us to um, remember that a lot of those are our wants and not needs and so just having those conversations noticing helping our, our children notice when they're being advertised and marketed to um, helping them notice when they um, are maybe thinking about getting an item that is not really going to be very satisfying to them, something that you're only going to be able to use this once. What if we got something, um, you know, like Legos or something that you could use over and over again, and then we could pass on to someone else. And just having those kind of conversations, as well as pointing out um, there are a lot of people who do not have everything that you have, and how can we minister to those people, helping them get kind of out of this. Yeah, I think children and probably most of us are naturally very self-centered and so helping move beyond that let's look at at people who who really need help who are very much in need and something that our family has done um especially during lent is we'll put together what are called blessing bags so they're bags of different very practical items like toothbrushes and toothpaste and granola bars and um, feminine care products, all these kind of practical items that we have in bags in the car. And if we see someone in need, you know, standing with a sign by the side of the road, we can just pass them a bag of things that they could really use. And my kids make cards and put them in there. Um, And that's been really meaningful to just help my children notice what people around us might be in need and how could we do something, even if it's small, to help them. That's really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that practice. Um, Just two more questions for you. Um, You say that not every person or family needs to necessarily pursue the lifestyle that you did, especially going to live on a farm, Um, but that we all can find, you know, the grace of enough. How do you help people or how would you advise people to discern uh, what enough is for themselves or for their families? Yeah, well, I think a lot of that has to do with an individual family's um, prayer and discernment, that you discern that through prayer, maybe talk to a spiritual director. There is not, sometimes I wish that the Vatican would just give me a checklist of like, here's what I should have and here's what's too much. But that's just not that's not how it works because we're all in different situations. You know, we're we're needing different things, and it really is primarily a matter of of the heart. Are we detached from our possessions? Or are we really grasping onto them? And how are we how are we using what we have? Are we being generous? And so I think our reaction is often going to be that we think we need more 
than we actually do because we're living in a very consumerist culture. And so that's, um, that's in the air. It's hard for us to get that out of our perspective. But I think, you know, taking stock of, do we really need two cars? Could we get by with one car? Or is that impossible? Because for some families, that's going to be totally impossible. For some families, they can make it work with one car. My husband likes to run and bike, so we can make it work with one vehicle. But um, in some cities, that would be impossible for your family. So just going through saying, what can we get rid of? What is essential to us? Do we need two bathrooms? Can we get by with one bathroom? Those kind of um, decisions, just what can we live without? Because I think that when we actually try to live without things, it's kind of like Lent when you think there's no way I can give up coffee for Lent. I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it through all of Lent without my coffee. And then by the end of Lent, you go, oh, I can live without coffee. I'm not actually enslaved to my caffeine addiction anymore. I um, am living a full and happy life without it. And I think that often we're surprised at what we can live without. For me, I was surprised that not having a flushing toilet was not that big of a deal. (laughs) I mean, I still prefer having a flushing toilet. I'm glad we have one in our home. But it wasn't like I had a miserable year because I didn't have a flushing toilet. It was a great year. And so I think that often we surprise ourselves by what we can live without and what is actually not essential to our happiness. Yeah, Pope Francis does say that God is full of surprises. So it sounds like you had some yourself. (laughs) Um, Haley, one final question for today. Um, And we realize it's morning where you are, but uh, where have you resisted the throwaway culture today? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that for us, a lot of it has to do, like our daily schedule, we try to center around our family. So this morning we got up and we all had breakfast together and did read aloud at the table. My husband is home in the morning so he can be a part of things with um, our homeschool day. And then he goes to work in the afternoon and then comes back right as the kids are going to bed so we can say goodnight to them. And so um, structuring our life like this is tricky and we're, I'm working less hours than I could be in order to live in this way and devote this kind of um, time to this weird schedule where we can all be together a lot. But that is, I think, one of the ways that we're trying to pursue the, um, the opposite of the throwaway culture, trying to pour our time into our, our family life and into our community so that um, even if it's not benefiting us financially, that we are contributing to something that we really believe in, that we're trying to set our clocks by a different kind of, of time that is honoring different things with different priorities. And so as far as this morning goes, that's just the one thing I'm thinking of. Haley, thanks so much for joining us today and speaking about pursuing less and living more in a throwaway culture. We're really looking forward to sharing your book with our listeners this Lent through our giveaway on our God Pods. And we look forward to hopefully speaking to you at some point in the future um, about more insights that you have in this regard. Thanks so much for having me. For more Catholic faith resources, follow us at bc.edu backslash c21 
or via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs>